Um, as most of you know, I typically lay out my sermon series uh, well in advance. In fact, uh, my most recent sermon uh, series, I have everything laid out from last December. Um, and uh, obviously that was prior to all the craziness of 2020. Yet as, as I reflect on the spring and summer on uh, the issues that plagued our world, it would seem as if nothing was unintentional, even though we did not know what to expect. The fact is that God has not been surprised by anything that has happened in 2020, nor is he going to be surprised by anything that happens in the near future. Now, having said that, there are times that I will break from an intended sermon series just because I feel that it is the right thing to do, and today is one of those days. Uh, you see, we've been in this series on First and Second Thessalonians now for uh, almost a month, and today's series was, series was supposed to be based out of First Thessalonians chapter 5. This is where Paul instructs the church to take care of those who lead and being grateful for the roles that the pastors play. Now, normally I wouldn't have any issue with sharing that type of message, primarily because I have a great staff, and I want to make sure that they are cared for. Uh, I want you to make sure that you appreciate the staff that we have. But when I scheduled this series, I didn't know that we would be having a mid-year local church conference today, actually this evening at 6 o'clock. And I didn't want it to appear that I picked this sermon just so I could tell y'all uh, that you should give more money to the staff, that kind of thing. That was not the intent. It had nothing to do with that. And uh, when we when I put this sermon series together, I didn't know that our uh, local church conference would be moved from April to September. So that's what kind of threw this off. So let me just encourage you, first of all, go back and read 1 Thessalonians 5. It'll be beneficial to you. I invite you to be faithful in taking care of our leadership, and we will continue to be faithful in proclaiming God's word. And instead, today I want to share something that the Lord has laid on my heart from Matthew chapter 7. Uh, as Jesus nears the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, he addresses multiple issues. Early in his ministry, thousands of people would flock uh, after him as if he were some type of rock star. People knew who he was by name, and the moment word would spread that he was coming to town, people would get excited. Remember, we talked about this a little bit last week. He provided hope, and he provided healing to people who desperately needed it. But after his death, the number of followers, the number of people who would flock after him had dwindled to only a few hundred people. And we know that because Acts chapter 1 talks about it and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Basically, you had a very large crowd that it was popular to follow Jesus. And suddenly, when they began to see all the difficulty that came with what he was doing, there were very few who would follow after him. The remaining disciples quickly learned that being a Christian would not be easy. Following in the footsteps of Christ means more than just giving your heart to the Lord. It often means making difficult choices and doing difficult things. Jesus warned his disciples about that while he was still alive. Look at what he said. He gave us a warning in Matthew 7. I read it to you already, but verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, 
and there are few who find it. Let me start today by saying that there are only two gates to choose from. Even though in our world it would seem as though there are many options and many different ways to find God, the reality is there are only two gates to choose from. One is the gate that leads to Christ, and the other is simply everything else. This everything else would include things like the the goodness gospel, people making it to heaven based on their goodness. If I do enough good things, it will make up for the bad things that I've done with my life. It also includes the many other religious pathways that are out there, the idea that all roads eventually lead to the same God. It is not true. And it even includes governmental or political allegiances that we have. Don't get me wrong, there can be benefits to doing good. There can be good benefits that come from being politically active. But those things have no ability to redeem you. And when you reach the moment when God judges all of humanity, which we talked about last week, God will not ask whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. The only thing he'll want to know is, did you come through the narrow gate or the wide gate? The narrow gate is a fairly simple and straightforward idea. A narrow gate would logically be harder to pass through than a wide gate. And only a few people can go through a narrow gate at one time. I remember several years ago, I was going through a hospital entryway that used one of those smart turnstile systems. I got to tell you, it wasn't very smart. I understood what they were trying to do. Basically, as... uh, Imagine that you were walking too slow through this turnstile. The, the, the turnstile would actually stop when it neared your motion activated. It would stop when it neared the back of your foot. And you couldn't go any faster because there might be other people going. So you had to go at just the right speed or it would stop. And the problem is that particular day, there were about six of us that squeezed into this turnstile. I know, dumb decision. Obviously, before the COVID stuff, we're, we're worried about being too close to each other. And what you end up with is about six people that are all packing in as tight as we can together to try to keep this thing from moving because it keeps stopping. Every time you start to move, it would stop again. The fact was we needed a much wider gate that day. Well, Jesus was describing the pathway to life, true eternal life, as something requiring effort and focus to enter. Only a relatively small number of people will ever set foot on that particular path. But getting onto that path is only the first step. When he said, difficult is the way which leads to life, Jesus was explaining how hard being a Christian really is. You know, so often we celebrate because an individual has given their hearts to the Lord, and we should. There is reason to rejoice when an individual who was lost has now been found. When an individual has repented of their sins and they get that fresh start in Christ, we ought to rejoice over that. But that's not the end of the story. Difficult, as we see used in our passage, comes from the Greek word thalibo, which means to press as if with grapes, to press hard upon or a compressed way. 
Metaphorically, the word can also mean to trouble, to afflict, or distress. If Jesus wanted to draw people to him, why did, why did he tell prospective disciples that doing so would bring about such grief? To understand what he meant, let's examine a few of the passages where he seemingly discouraged people from following him. It's not that he didn't want them to follow, but that's what it looked like. If you would, take a moment, look at Luke chapter 9. We're not that far away from there. We're in Matthew 7. Move over to Luke chapter 9 as Luke records three encounters Jesus had with would-be disciples, would-be Christians as he and his disciples were traveling. Each of these encounters offers insight into what makes the gate so narrow and the way so difficult. It's interesting, by the way, that the first one, the individual makes this offer unsolicited. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come and follow me, but rather this individual makes the offer on his own. The other two, Jesus invites, and there is a reason they will not follow. Look at what it says. One would be a follower, one would-be follower made a dramatic statement. In Luke 57, he says to Christ, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Notice Jesus didn't reply, well, wonderful, please join us. <laughs> Instead, he said something that would have minimally caused this man to doubt, or even worse, perhaps caused him to turn away completely. Look at Jesus' words in response. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was conveying the uncertainty that could accompany the life of a true Christian. To follow Christ, we must be willing to accept a certain amount of hardship in our lives. It will not be an easy path, knowing that we must still live in a broken world. There will be things that don't go the way we would like. And truthfully, if you just want an easy life, following Christ is not going to provide that. You're going to need to look someplace else. Now, here's the thing. It's still the best thing that you could ever do. But the reality is it will not automatically create an easy life where everything goes the way that you have planned. The second individual that we see addressed, Luke's narrative continues with Jesus turning to another person and telling him, follow me. The man hesitates, though, asking that he be allowed to first go and bury his father. Since Jewish custom was to bury the dead as soon as possible, we need to understand that it is unlikely that the man was out with the crowd around Jesus with a dead father sitting in his household. More likely, the man was asking to go spend whatever time he had left with his aging or perhaps ill father, an open-ended request of time. Lord, I'll, I'll go follow you, but you know, my, my, my dad's not, he's kind of up in the years, and I feel like I probably need to be, be with him. Tell you what, I'll follow you after he's gone. Here's the thing, he has no idea what that time span will be. So here he is, he's saying, he's making an excuse, he's saying, I'll follow you, but you know, I've got some other things that I need to do. I'm going to tell you, Jesus sounds a little bit harsh as he responds to this man's excuse. Let the dead 
bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Obviously, dead people don't bury each other. Instead, Jesus was telling this potential Christian that his calling was infinitely more important. The same is true for us. We cannot dedicate ourselves to follow Christ if we keep putting vague, open-ended priorities in front of our calling. Maybe for you it's not a dad who is nearing death. Maybe it's not a dad who is up in the years. Maybe it has to do with your work. Maybe it has to do with other things that you've allowed to exist within your daily life. And we make excuses, God, I'll follow you, but you know, not yet. I got some other things that I need to take care of first. And there's always going to be something else that'll keep us from actually following him. Today it's this, tomorrow it might be something completely different, and the next day it might be something completely different again. So Jesus says, Quit making excuses. It's not about the dad. It's not about the dead either. It's about the excuse. The fact is, this man is being invited to go and to follow Jesus. He says, I'll do it, but you know, I'm just not, not, not today. Then a third man who was committed to being a disciple in verse 61 made a seemingly reasonable request to first return home to say goodbye to whoever was at his house. To this person, Jesus responded, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's in verse 62. Now we can't know for sure, but this person may not have been as committed as his words make him sound. Jesus knew his heart. And felt it necessary to remind the man that looking back was not an option. He needed to keep his eyes continually on the prize. All of these men remind me of Joshua's final address with the Israelites. It's in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. He instructs them to choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And it's a familiar passage that most of us have heard over and over again. Often it ends up in a frame somewhere in your house, maybe in the bathroom or maybe in the foyer as you walk in the house. But what seems so odd is Joshua's response when they do choose. They declare that they will choose the Lord. The one who had blessed them and been so good, so faithful to them throughout the years, who had given them victories throughout the land of Canaan, but even before then, who had delivered them from the people of Egypt. And Joshua's response, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been so good to you. Is he trying to talk them out of choosing the Lord? Because that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, if an individual would have said, yeah, far be it for me to choose anybody else, I want to choose God, my first thought is yes. That's wonderful, and we'll celebrate it. Joshua responds with, ah, you're not really able to serve the Lord. 
He's not trying to talk them out of it, even though that is what it appears to be, just as Jesus really doesn't want to talk people out of it. He just wants to make sure that if you're going to commit to this, you got to be all in. You can't be half-hearted in this decision. You need to truly be committed to it. It would seem that the goal was not so much to see how many people started down the right path, but rather to make sure that as many people as possible would actually finish the journey down the path. We need to know that the gate that we, back to Matthew chapter 7, we need to know that the gate that we choose does determine our path. The application for us here is very simple. I told you earlier that there are only two gates, Jesus' gate and everyone else's. Well, you can't walk through the narrow gate and then live like you walked through the wide gate. That's where we're talking about here. You can't say, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to follow. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But you know what? I'm going to live like I did before. You can't walk through the narrow gate and then walk on the wide path. Your gate determines your path. In our original passage based out of Matthew 7, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Unfortunately, there are many in the church who think they can walk through the narrow gate. They can say some magic prayer, yet then they can live like they're out there on the broad path. But it does not work. The broad path will always lead to destruction. And if you're going to walk the broad path, truthfully, you didn't walk through the narrow gate. You might have thought you did. God never intended for you or I to be destroyed. Now, one of the questions that comes to my mind is, why would anyone choose the path that leads to destruction? I mean, if you have one path that leads to life, and I mean like good life, eternal life, and another that leads to death and destruction, that seems like a no-brainer to me. There are no doubt multiple reasons in play why many people still choose that broad path. The first one, as is covered in our passage, is that one path is easier than the other. We'll say that this reason is comfort. Sure, the end result is much greater when you go through the narrow gate. But the path to that end results, to that end result seems much more enjoyable through the broad gate. If you go through the broad gate, you get to enjoy life. Now, you got to die and be destroyed at the end. We call this the principle of delayed gratification. Dave Ramsey in his Financial Peace University often says that you need to live like nobody else today so that tomorrow you can live like nobody else. His point is that today you sacrifice. You don't have to spend everything and enjoy all the pleasures that you have. You sacrifice today so that as you age, you have the resources available to you so you can live better than everybody else. He's re recommending that basically you delay the gratification, the satisfaction. Well, that's what happens when we choose the narrow gate. We're choosing to sacrifice and to deal with some of the difficulty related to that path, knowing that there is a much greater reward that sits at the end. 
If you choose the narrow gate, there may be suffering in the present. But the prize at the end is worth receiving. So on the one hand, people choose the broad gate for comfort. On the other hand, people choose the broad gate simply because that's what everybody else is doing. We call this community. Speaking of the broad gate, Jesus said, there are many who go in by it. This is the idea that just because everybody else is doing it, it must be right. Now, I know that we live in a democracy, which allows a majority opinion to determine much about our laws and government. But there is no democratic rule when it comes to our faith. Even if you are the only person who will choose the narrow gate, it is the right gate. In recent weeks, we have seen this with all sorts of issues. People want to fight over politics, which lives matter, social distancing and masks, and everything else that you can think of. Well, just because of a, a majority of people think one way doesn't mean that that's the right way. Our foundation regarding what is right and wrong is not found in public opinion. It is found in our constant pursuit of Jesus Christ above everything else. As we constantly pursue Christ, it is his word that should guide our every decision, not popular opinion. I have one additional reason why I believe so many would choose the broad gate. Somewhat connected to each of our first two reasons, comfort and community, I would add that there is often a sense of doubt regarding whether the end could really be that bad. Jesus says that the wide gate leads to destruction. He says a narrow gate leads to life. Just as last week we talked about the coming judgment of God as something that scoffers no longer anticipate will really happen. There are many who no longer believe in heaven or hell as being real places. But let me assure you that both are very much real. I gave you examples last week of prophetic words that are being fulfilled, perfectly fulfilled today, yet they were recorded over 2,000 years ago. Well, that shouldn't surprise us, since every word that God has ever spoken has turned out to be true. So as we talk about heaven and hell, logic says that if God says they're real, they probably are. Sure, they take on different names at different times, but they are clearly described throughout the Word of God. Hell, for example, is often referred to as Hades, or the grave, or the abyss, or even the pit. But each time it is mentioned, it is described as a place of eternal torment and suffering, full of darkness and fire. It is also described as a place that is absent of the presence of God and absent of the hope of redemption. There is no doubt that this is the destruction that awaits those who choose the wide gate. There are many who would say today that hell is not a place that is off in the distance, but rather it is what we are living in today. They see the destruction, they see the ugliness of our world. I'm going to tell you already, that is not true. Yes, there is destruction. Yes, there is difficulty. But there is something we have that people in hell will not have. It is the hope of redemption. 
It is the presence of the Lord able to change our current circumstance. Once you enter into hell, all of that is gone. Hell is a real place and it is not a place that anyone who is in the body of Christ or anyone who has ever breathed life should ever have to experience. In contrast, throughout the scriptures, we find many references to heaven, paradise, Abraham's bosom, glory, and a host of other terms. Each of these terms are described as a place of beauty, peace, prosperity, and blessing. And the centerpiece of heaven is not the streets of gold, it's not the crystal city, it's not the mansions of glory, or even the other saints that will be present who have already died before us, the ones we read about in God's word. Instead, it will be the presence of God himself. And the only thing that will be missing will be sin, temptation, darkness, death, and suffering. Tell you the truth, I could live without all those anyways. There is no doubt that this is the eternal life that awaits those who choose the narrow gate. So we must choose wisely. Well, I have one more piece of information for you this morning. It is the idea that such a moment of decision does not come at the end of our journey. In other words, you won't choose your gate on that judgment day. Instead, you must choose today which gate, which path you will use. You know, by God's grace, there will be those who will wait until the end of their lives to choose Christ. But not all will have that opportunity. The story is told of Constantine. Obviously, a very important figure is a Roman emperor uh, from hundreds of years ago who chose to withhold his baptism until his deathbed experience. The reason for that, it was commonly believed at that moment in time that God would forgive sins that you had already committed, but once you became a Christian, if you continued in your sin, then he would not forgive those sins. So he wanted to wait until the very last moment to make things official between he and God. You'd be amazed how many people live that way today. They want to enjoy their time now. They want to live it up while they're in their sin. Somewhere down the road, they plan to make a decision for Christ. But many people have run into a problem with this idea. I read somewhere that many who wait until the 11th hour to give their hearts to Christ will die at 1030. You see, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. We are not guaranteed that they will receive another opportunity to make that decision. So I ask you today, what path are you choosing? Why would anyone choose the narrow gate, symbolizing the way Christians must live when it is such a difficult path compared to the smooth, easy way of our world? On hikes, there are often adventures, thrills, and vistas that are available only to those who take the difficult path. The difficult way brings rewards that those who remain 
on the smooth and easy way will never, ever know. Heard an individual share a story yesterday, and I just want to share it with you. It is, uh, in 1957, there was a, a baseball player, his name was Richie Ashburn. He played for the Philadelphia Phillies. Actually, he would become a great baseball player. In fact, he became an all-star that particular year. As he stood up at the plate, he swung and hit a foul ball. Unfortunately, that ball went into the stands, striking a woman, and it broke her nose. At that point, obviously, the game stopped briefly. Uh, At that point, the world was a very different place. Now we just go on with the game and not even worry about it. But the game stopped briefly. Paramedics came, and they treated the woman to make sure she was okay, and they put her on a stretcher. The umpire had stopped the game, so they have waited, and now they've got her on the stretcher, and Richie Ashburn steps back up to the plate. And as he swings the bat, once again, he hits a foul ball. True story. Hits a foul ball that hits the woman laying on the stretcher. She's already broken her nose, hits her knee. I imagine that woman probably thought to herself, get me out of here now. She came to that game looking for something exciting and beautiful, and maybe there was a part of her wish she never even came to it. (laughs) Probably 2020, many of us would think the same thing. We were so excited. We've made it to 2020. This is great. And we're thinking, Lord, get us out of here. But here's the thing. Sometimes you're going to experience difficulty But in the midst of that difficulty, you have the potential to see something even greater, something more beautiful than you ever could have imagined. We had some friends who came up uh, two years ago to visit us. They had been down there from the Philadelphia. They had been down at Myrtle Beach. A hurricane was coming on shore, and they needed a place to escape. So they came and stayed with us, and we took them up to, many of you have probably seen it, but there's a beautiful place up in the mountains called Pretty Place, beautiful view. We were with that family about a week and a half ago, and we were talking about their time with us, and they told me that even though they still wish the hurricane had never come, because that hurricane came, they had the opportunity to see something that was more beautiful than anything they'd ever seen before. Sometimes the difficulty that we face today, it stinks may be that we need to go through that to truly appreciate the blessing that God has for us. The experience of being in God's church is incomparably rewarding to those who are called of God. They become part of the family of God, now experiencing his presence, his power, and his grace. They serve in his work. They're energized by interacting with people with like minds. They anticipate reigning with Christ in the coming kingdom of God. They deeply appreciate being led by the Holy Spirit and understand that godliness has benefits for the life that now is and the life which is to come. Which way will you choose? Will you choose the easy path that will lead you to a very undesirable end? Or will you choose the more difficult path, the narrow gate, 
which will lead you to life. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that there are many different paths that we have taken. But when it comes down to it, there are really only two. And how we got to this point, it looks very diverse. There have been some who have been through some of the worst things imaginable already, at least it seems that way. And now they have two doors sitting in front of them, two gates. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize that one gate will not lead to life, but only death. Lord, I pray today that you would give wisdom. Some of us have walked a pretty easy, peaceful life. But the time is now that we must choose to walk through that narrow gate or to walk through the wide gate. Father, I pray today that if there be one here that does not know you, regardless of what their past looks like, that right now you would speak to our hearts and that we would choose life over death. Father, I pray that you would help us as a people to understand that your grace and your gift of life is available to us now. This is not just a message about what happens after we die, but even now, Lord, I pray that if we would choose the narrow gate, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us purpose, that you would give us life, and that this life would truly have meaning. Yes, there will be difficulty, and we understand that, but we will never walk this journey alone, for we know that you will be faithful, and you will be with us no matter where we go. So, Lord, right now, I pray that you would help us to choose life, to choose the narrow gate. You tell us in your word that if any of us has sin, that if we will confess that you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us of that sin, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right now, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Remove the sin as far as the east is from the west. I pray that we would be able to leave this place today filled with a peace that passes all understanding, knowing that our sin is in our past, not in our present, for it has been forgiven, it has been washed away. But I pray for the one who is on the narrow path already. I pray that you would give us strength and endurance. I pray that your grace would be sufficient for us so that as difficulty comes, we will constantly be reminded that this is not the end. There is something worth pressing on for. So we press on to take hold of the prize to which you called us heavenward. Father, I pray today that you would help us to walk through this gate ready to march through to eternity. Again, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. With every head bowed and I close this morning, I'm just, I want to be able to pray for you beyond this service. Maybe there's someone who said today, I've been standing at the gate and I no longer want to walk on the broad path, but rather I want to walk on the narrow path. And I am confessing today and I am beginning this new walk with Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to be able to pray specifically for you. I won't call you by name, but I want to be able to pray for you. If there's someone in here who's been on that narrow path and life has been very, very difficult, 
and you're at that point where you're not sure if I can continue on this path, but you really want to. Maybe today is a day to renew that covenant with God, to renew that commitment, to be all in. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see hands up. Father, as we come before you today, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. I pray that you would sustain us. I pray for the individuals who have raised their hands, and I pray that you would give them a supernatural strength as they face the difficulty of this life today. Father, I pray that you would help them to continue to press on. Send individuals, maybe it'll be people from within this very church. Send individuals who will come alongside them and lift them up and walk alongside them, lock arms with them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand together as the body of Christ marching into glory. Father, thank you for all that you've done today. I pray that you would continue to speak to us and to minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a blessing to have each individual with us today just to be able to worship and celebrate the Lord. I will tell you that even though I took a break from my sermon series, I will be going back to it next week, which means we'll probably be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we'll continue in that series as uh, it's truly about the church being the church that it needs to be. So I uh, just want to encourage you with that. And I also want to mention if if you are planning on being at our local church conference tonight, we do have some packets that are out in the foyer, uh, just giving information about some of it. I'll tell you the primary reason for that local church conference tonight is to be able to give an update because here we are, we're, I know we're not completely through this coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, issue that has been present, but there have been a lot of decisions that have been made, so we just want to make sure the information is out there. That is the primary purpose of it. Uh, we want people to know that these are decisions that have been made, and these are why the reason, the, the reason why these decisions have been made over the last several months. There is one uh, business item that we will take care of, but the primary reason is informational. Uh, we want people to know where we are as a church. So if you can come, we welcome you to come back. Thank you for being with us today. Go in peace.